And when we face death, how can we face this? How can we face it as we look it in the eye? We recently redecorated our children's classrooms and we commissioned an artist, Stephanie Coley, to paint the mural for us. It took her over 12 hours to paint this mural in that room. And after the service day, if you care to, we'd invite you, go check it out and look at it. And I and she was doing it, and I, I asked her a few times, I stopped in there a few times while she was painting it, just, you know, find out what she was up to, what she was doing, and she, she spent significantly more, more than half the time was spent on Jesus' face, and especially his eyes. And asked her, why is that? Well, well, she explained it. When we look at pictures, when we look at things, we don't look at the knees and the feet. Oh, well, we might look at them. We, we, look at them. we look at them, but we study the face. And we look at the eyes. Because we want to know, we want to, that's where it matters most. And so we look at that closely. And so that's why she spends the most time on that. And if you think about it, when we talk to one another, we do the same thing. We don't look at each other's knees when we talk to each other, your shoes. You don't do that. What do you do? You look at someone's face. And you, we read expressions and we, we, get to, we study it and we know a person by looking at their eyes. So today we're going to look death in the eye. We're going to get to an understanding more about death and we're going to have a greater understanding about Jesus because we're going to look both him and death in the eye. We're going to do this maybe a little differently than we sometimes do. I'm, I'm going to walk you through the narrative, the story of, in John chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to that. John chapter 11, so you can follow along. I'll be referring to verses. You can read it for yourself as I'm talking about it. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can open that up. There's even a little description on the inside cover if you use that to, to know how to get there. The whole reason why we're going to do that, though, is to try to understand how we could look Jesus in the eye, how we can look death in the eye, and how we can understand what happens when those tragic moments and those tragic times in life happen. We're told in John chapter 11 that Lazarus is sick. And so Mary and Martha, being a little ways away, send word to Jesus saying, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick and he needs some help. He needs some healing. If Jesus cares for strangers, if he heals blind people he barely knows, wouldn't he certainly come to Mary and Martha, his dear friends, and care for them? Certainly he would, he would come. We're told that Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem, just a couple miles away, and people were aware of this going on. This is going to be a chance for Jesus to look death in the eye and deliver a knockout punch. And John goes on to describe and says, says some things, though, to help us understand maybe God's eyes and maybe what he's thinking is a little different. If you look at John chapter 11, verse 5, it tells us that Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary. This account, this story was written years later. John wrote this account years later when he was telling about how it, what it means to understand and know Jesus. And he had to write this little note 
that he loved them. Why did he have to write that? Because as we look into the story, it's not going to become real clear. It doesn't make sense. If he loves these people, why does he do what he does? So John clarifies, he loved these folks. So look with, John, with, look with me at John chapter 11. Let's look through what was going on here and let's consider what this is about. As you read through there, as you read on, we find out that he, he doesn't come right away. He waits two days. That's hard to do, isn't it? You ever had to wait? I chose an hourglass for, the, for uh, a metaphor, a picture to help tell the story today because it seems like so much of life, in, especially when it comes to death, is about waiting. We're waiting and, and time is running out. We're waiting for a surgery to happen, for a phone call, maybe for news. Maybe you've had to wait for a child to come home, for a promise to be fulfilled, for a promotion. God's promise, his two-day wait, is an expression of how he's always right on time, and he knows but it will very well be different than we expect. The disciples don't want to go with Jesus. They, they tell Jesus in the story, in the narrative, we're told, we don't think you should go to Jerusalem, Jesus. They're going to kill you there. It's going to be problems. Don't do that. And so many things about the story, everything seems to be a little bit off. The disciples are saying, Jesus, let's just think about this. You're going to die if you go to Jerusalem. Don't go there. Mary and Martha, you should come sooner because you know, Lazarus is sick now. Let's deal with the sickness now. So all these people are coming to Jesus and saying, you should, you should, you should. Have, have you ever been in that spot where it's pretty clear what God needs to be doing? And maybe you've even told God what he needs to be doing? And it seems like God isn't really listening real well? I wonder sometimes if maybe he's coming at a different approach. And Jesus goes on to tell them to walk in the light. The darkness is coming to stick with me because coming up you will no longer have the light. But if you walk with me, you will have what you need. He's trying to communicate to them and he's trying to communicate to us. Where are we without Jesus? Where are we in this life without him? Imagine life without Jesus. We're just, we're biology at that point, right? We're living this progression and we're just biology well then everything is hopeless it's it's fate everything is chance every meaningful relationship we've ever had in this life is luck and if even if a person doesn't believe these kinds of things a person may want to believe that this is true because at least this way life would have meaning if you have doubts about faith if you have doubts about how god works in this life this passage is for you and then in verse 14 and 15, this is unbelievable what is said here. Jesus says that he is glad he's not there. He, he says that he's glad he is not there. When did it ever make sense that it would, it would be good for him to not be there? He says he's glad he's not there so that you may believe. He's saying that because he wants to have the pro proper and right relationship with his people. Not based on miracles, not because he did the healing, but because he can have a relationship with, with us. All this is so that we may believe to, 
believe in the real Jesus. We have the life-giving God. It, later on in verse 16, Thomas says, finally, find Jesus. We'll go with you and we'll die. We'll just die with you. It's kind of fatalistic. And years later, looking back, years later when John wrote this account and he wrote this story, he, he knew that something that Thomas understood was that sometimes we believe without knowing how it's going to end up. Thomas walked into the next chapter, the next part of the chapter, without knowing how it was going to end up. And, and John's goal all along, from the very beginning of the book of John to the very end, is to help us see that this Jesus that we have is worth believing. And this is the pinnacle story. This death, the separation, the unknown, the pointlessness, the waiting, the tragedy, the issues, the problems. And Jesus is walking through every step of this story with the people that he loves. Walking us right to the other side. As we read along, we find out that Lazarus has been dead for four days. That's very dead. There's no resuscitating a four-day dead, four dead person. And this is near Jerusalem, and, and it's tragic, so, so people are all coming around. It's, it's a tragic death, and so and Jerusalem, a major city, even though Bethany is small, it's a major city, and maybe you've been at a funeral. Have you ever been to these funerals? If it's a tragic funeral, how many people show up? A lot, right? Lots and lots of people. It, if it's sort of expected, it's not as many. It's just the way it is. It seems like there's just more people come around for those things. That's what happens. Everything is blowing up and Jesus steps right into the middle of it. Early in the account and then later, both Martha and Mary say basically the same thing. If only. If only you would have been here, Jesus. Jesus, if only you would have showed up. You can do all these things. If only, why weren't you here? Those are tough words, aren't they? If only. Has somebody ever said that to you? If only you would have. You could have. If, if, if only, and there's this guilt, this thing that we carry with it. Can, can we say those kinds of words to God? Can you say, like, harsh, critical words to God? Because we read in John chapter 11, his closest friends could. They could go right up to Jesus and say, why didn't you? You could have been here, Jesus. We told you, the message was sent. That's tough. Verse 23, he goes on. Jesus talks. In the end, I am the resurrection and the life. This is getting to the heart of the matter. Jesus is saying, I am eternal and I am life for now. Later on, we read that Jesus is angry. Verse 33, we see how he's angry. And then verse 35, we're going to look at this verse just a little more in depth. He is weeping, a loud, open weeping. The maker of heaven and earth, the man that can do anything, the best thing he can do at that moment is weep. And then we see the reaction of the people, how, they must have moved, how he must have loved these people 
and yet how powerless Jesus must be. He could heal the blind, but he couldn't help his own friend. But God's actions from a human standpoint do not always reflect what people think is the best. In verse 38, there's anger again. I think of the story of the Jesus tipping over the tables in the temple, the money changers, anger to make something happen. There's a prayer for hope in 41 and 42, and finally, in 43 and 44, Lazarus is told to come out, and he does. There's an outline in your program. If it helps, you can fill in the blanks this morning. This might help you understand a little bit better where this is all going. The first line is facing death. Facing death. So then Jesus, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. This is facing death. This is real life. Jesus was okay with death happening before he got there. He was okay with waiting so that we could understand what real life happens. When we walk through death, this is the story that we might turn to. We might bookmark this chapter. In, when we're facing death, especially a tragic death, this might be the most important chapter in the Bible that day. And for your sake, Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there. And for our sake, so that we can understand what this real relationship with Jesus is, so that we can look death in the eye. And just some things about facing death. If we were to look death in the eye, if we're really to get down into what death is, let's be honest, let's be clear, let's drill down what is death. Death is something, if we live long enough and we face this, we will discover that it is tragic. The sense of tragedy that goes with it. It, it impacts friendships. We're told that Jesus knew and loved Lazarus and he loved Mary and Martha. And we have to be told that because we maybe wouldn't believe it if it wasn't written in there. In this story, death was preventable. So Jesus is not trying to back around anything. This death was preventable. And if we've lived long enough on earth, we know that when there are deaths, sometimes, maybe many times, the death was preventable. Jesus waited two days on purpose. The waiting means he's coming at us in new ways. And it's also personal. Jesus' heart comes out. The emotions start coming out here. When you think about all this, when you think about death and what it is, I think waiting might be the hardest part. Realizing that God is silent in these moments. Has God given you and trusted you with silence? Think of what it must have been like for those ladies in Bethany for two days. They sent the word to Jesus, and for two days they waited, and no word back. They're just sitting at their home. What's going on? There's no cell phones. There's no emails. There's no way to know what happened. All they know is they're sitting in Bethany, and Jesus could have been there, and they don't have all the answers. They're waiting, and they're waiting, wondering, what is God doing? What is Jesus doing? What is going on here? And yet they wait, and Maybe God was helping them grow and know and become different in their relationship with God that wouldn't have happened in any other way. 
Maybe we're beginning to understand Jesus a little bit more as we look this in the eye. We also discover in this that death is emotional. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. This, this concept, this word, it's, it's not so much things that Jesus said, it, it's his actions. It's, it's described as like a, a horse or a stallion that snorts and it's you know, tearing up the ground. It's a powerful emotion. And we read on, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And at that moment in John 11, verse 35, we're told that Jesus wept. Maturity in life means being able to understand that emotions will happen. I've been told that emotions are a little bit like the warning lights on your car. They tell you that something is going on on the inside. Now, we could, if a warning light turns on your car, like the oil light turns on, you could make that light go away. I could give you a little piece of black tape. You could put that on your dashboard, and voila, the light has gone away, and there's no more problems. Except, really, is it going away? Of course not. Emotions are a window to what's going on inside of us. If we are angry, if we are sad, if we are weeping, if we, are, if we are, have anxious thoughts, all those emotions that are coming out of us, those are like warning lights telling us something's going on inside of us. And the mature person allows themselves to experience those emotions and then look inside. What is that telling me? It's God's it's a God-given resource to help us know better what it means to live this life. He gives this for our sake. He gives it to them. He gives it to us. He gives it to all of us so that we can look death in the eye. Death is emotional. Think about the emotions in this story. There's, there's fear. Mary and Martha must have been scared. So they invite Jesus in. There's anger. We already talked about that but there's also this grief it, it it's so good so when the bible was originally written it was written just like a, a letter like a book even no chapters no verses but somewhere along the line somebody chopped it all up put verses you know with it is so good that 1135 got its own verse if you if you want to memorize scripture if you can remember jesus wept you good job you just memorized a verse today all right Jesus wept, and it's so good that that got separated out because it's important. The Lord had tears streaming down his face. I can only think of a couple times in my life where I had that happen, and the times that it, I remember it most is when a friend tragically died. What happens when we do it? It releases something inside of us. It reminds us that God made us, and he made us this way. As we study Jesus, as we look him in the eye, we can know if Jesus had emotions, so can we. If we bury those emotions, if we say that, oh, I'm not supposed to be angry, and we bury it. Oh, I'm not supposed to be weeping and sad, and we bury it. I'm not supposed to have anxious thought. We, no, that's not what God, Jesus has these emotions. But what does it do? In reaction to what's going on in his world, in reaction to what's going on in his heart, he allows these emotions to come out and then he deals with them. That's the mature way to go over this. Finally, there's hope over death. Jesus said 
to the people. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I'm actually going back. I'm going back because it was earlier in the story. Why didn't Jesus say these words later in the story? He could have waited. Imagine the audience he would have had. Raise Lazarus from the dead. And then he goes out and says, I'm the resurrection and the life. So many more people would have heard these things. But he didn't do it that way. He did it early in the story because the point would have been missed. People would have been focused on the physical healing or the life here on earth. That's not what life was about. We have hope over death for eternity. We have hope for not not just now, but for the future. And we have life for right now. To look Jesus in the eye means we understand he has got the eternity figured out, but he also has the right now, how to handle the emotions, how to handle the anger, how to talk to the loved ones, how to handle the tragic death. All these things are handled in this story in John chapter 11. And it all points to the Jesus that we know. I am the resurrection and the life. In the last section on the, on the program there, it says, what would Lazarus do the second time? I was talking to uh, Barb, Barb Casper, I was visiting her in the hospital a little over a week ago, and we started talking about this story, and she started laughing, and we started laughing because it's like, of all the people in this story, who's the most disappointed with the outcome? Probably Lazarus. The man's in paradise. The man is enjoying heaven. He is having the time of his life. You're having all that and yes, you, love, you miss your loved ones, but do you want to come back to this? You want to go through it all again? I, I, I would imagine there's a certain, uh, as excited and happy everyone is, I think there's probably a little bit of disappointment in Lazarus that day. Oh, Grandpa, I was just sitting down with Grandpa and talking. I was just with, you know, whatever. All those things, nope, went away. What would it have been like, though, the second time? He'd already been through it once. What it, what it would it have been like? I don't know, but we do know a little bit about some people that were there. Peter, the disciple, was there at that place, and, and we're, he, he walked through the whole thing. He walked through that, that whole episode with Jesus, Mary, and Martha. He was a loved one, and he walked through his life where he saw his loved ones tragically die, where people died for their faith, where they were persecuted for what they believed. And what does he say to the persecuted believers, the people facing death? Later on, he says, cast all your cares on him. Because, you might know this, he says, because I care, because, sorry, he cares for you. He saw firsthand how that happened. Does he promise that all your tragic deaths will end? Just believe in Jesus, all your tragic no, he does not promise that. He does not promise that he will be with you immediately, right when you want him there. He doesn't promise that. What does he promise, though? He promises, I will walk through those things with you. I'll be with you to the end, both eternity and this life right now. 
John 3.16, a verse we looked at just a couple of weeks, you know, a few weeks ago in this, in this series. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. How is, how is that for tragedy? He gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I'd like to invite our worship team up just now. We're going to sing just a couple of songs.